You're listening to episode 158 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we near the end of our journey down the pilot preview path before we finally decide on a winner. And this is our second day of summer vacation, and I'm kind of liking it, man. Yeah, it's uh, how quickly we sink back into that that very lethargic summer mode. <laughs> it's nice, yeah. though. Yeah, and I was able to follow through after you Game of Thrones shamed me today. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I have the time getting caught up on my shows, and uh, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, there's just, there's no excuse, you know, not to be caught up on Game of Thrones, especially when Uh, you know episode nine was coming up, you know. Well, and, and I keep reading headlines that something dramatic happened, somebody died, you know, so again, I, 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 I was going to get to it, but since we were recording tonight, that was good that you uh, gave me the classic bip, 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 and <laughs> I followed your instructions. Okay, so. well, let's just warn everyone out there that there's going to be significant spoilerage happening right in here. So if you haven't gotten caught up with Game of Thrones, then you know, skip the next couple minutes. Exactly. But before we get to that, uh, I want to let everybody know we're here to discuss the pilot episode of ABC's J.J. Abrams 2001 Spy Fi series Alias tonight. But before we get to that, Wayne and I want to remind you we'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. You can record your own audio clips and the MP3 as an attachment, or just send us a tweet at sci-fi TV rewatch. And we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group, join the discussions there. You know, before we go on, I just, uh, again, we we've mentioned that we plan to cover the entire first season of HBO's take on Michael Crichton's Westworld when it airs in the fall. As of now, there's still been no firm date. They're just saying in the fall, so that that's on the horizon. Next week, we're going to take a look at the juggernaut that was Stargate SG-1, follow it up with TNT's The Librarians, and after that, we got a decision to make. Right. We will keep everybody posted on that, and you know, obviously what will happen is we'll start whatever show we, we decide on, then have to take a break when we deal with Westworld, and then come back. But all right, before we get to Game of Thrones, I know you want to talk about that, yes, and, and do. so do I. I saw a movie that I thought, you know, Wayne would be proud that I'm watching this. And I don't know if you've seen it. Maybe you have. Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Drag Me to Hell, actually. Wow. Okay. Uh, so Sam Raimi, Evil Dead, yeah. Evil Dead 2. Spider-Man movies. Right. So I'm at uh, our you know, family Father's Day get-together. And, and uh, a family friend, uh, really a friend of my brother-in-law's, and I've gotten to know him over the years. He's a fellow bass player. He's He's the one that does the music for... Uh, the podcast that Michael and I do, and we're certainly going to get him to do some music for us. He's, he's mentioned several times, I've just got to decide on something and then send it your way and see what you think. But he is like, dude, you have to see this show, this movie. I'm like, all right, I'm not really into horror, but I am liking Outcast. There are certain things. Certainly, I, I, I've fallen in love with Penny Dreadful. Unfortunately, we just got the news. It's gotten canceled, yeah. not coming back for season four. But it was pretty fun movie. You definitely have to see it. You'll love it. You just have to. And he he forewarned me, it's not a serious horror flick. It's somewhat tongue tongue in cheek, but it's not silly. That's kind of what Sam Raimi does, though. You know exactly, and he does it really well. So anyway, all right, Game of Thrones, penultimate episode. I'll let you start off. I, I think we had been waiting a long time for Ramsey Bolton to get his, and uh, and he finally did, but not before he uh, did some significant damage as as he does. Well, I like the little teaser, bastard versus bastard. Right, right. That was pretty. That was pretty great. You know, I, I certainly one of the things that I loved about this episode is that that we got to see a character get what was coming to him. We got to see another character get what I think she deserves. I think certainly you could have people that would argue that she's just taken, you know, and that is of course Daenerys. But on the other hand, it's hard to put down a person that has freed people that have been slaves for, you know, dozens of generations. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, but uh, well, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I was even you know so overwhelmed with the uh, the John Snow Ramsey Bolton. I'd forgotten about the had Daenerys uh, finally dealing some some doom and gloom onto the masters well yeah and just two great scenes that really stick out in my mind number one when she's meeting with uh, i forget whatever armies come to accept her surrender terms and she goes oh you must misunderstood why you're here you're here to surrender to me yeah and then, of course, the dragons come out and start torching everything. That was great. And then, and then when she meets with Theon's sister, yes, and, and and I loved their approach. You know, we're not demanding anything; we're asking. Yeah, yeah. And that really resonated with her. And and I think at the end of the day, it, it, she, both of them really kind of bonded. You know, we're two female leaders. Theon's just, you know, I don't, I'm not fit to rule. Yeah, she is. Yeah, he's he. I mean, his character has just undergone just such an unbelievable transformation you know like it is he's unrecognizable from what he was back in season one this is it's great you know it's really cool how he's how he's changed and you know he was so power hungry before and he was so ambitious and now he's just like i'm not fit to rule she's the leader right right and i think when we look at the path that he's gone down that that it's almost unbelievable that he's been able to recover from what was done to him yeah yeah by Ramsey Bolton. No question. Now, the other one that I don't quite understand is what happened with Jon Snow and Winterfell and all of that. Look, I, I, obviously, that was a great scene when Ramsey Bolton's finally been captured. He starts beating the crap out of him. Yeah. Uh, I, now, I, I don't know whether he stops because Sansa's there and he, he thinks that her sensibilities can't take what he's about to do, which is beat the man to death, or does he stop so that they can continue the torture? Well, I think, you know, it's it's obviously unclear as to why he didn't kill uh, Ramsey Bolton then and there. I like to think that he kind of stops realizing that the ultimate justice is Sansa's and that she should determine you know, she should be the one to to lay the penalty down on Ramsey. Okay, and that may well be the finest exacting of revenge is, I've ever seen. Is, you know, at first when I heard the dog, I'm like, oh, they got ghosts. They're going to let ghosts do them. And then I'm like, oh, it's his own dogs. That's even better, you know, because he's fed so many other people to his dogs throughout, throughout the course of the, the series that for him to to go down by being eaten by his own dogs. And, uh, you know, again, the reason they aren't obeying him and eating him instead is because he starved them for the last seven days in anticipation of this battle, right? So it's his totally his own, the engineer of his own fate here. Right. And what was so cool was they go right for the face. Yeah. Or disgusting. I'm not sure which. Yeah. But it was it was definitely fitting, and you know it's again like you like think like okay revenge, you know is it leaves you feeling empty. But you look at Sansa; she doesn't look like she has any kind of empty feeling or any kind of equivocation about her revenge. I think she is she like the viewer is is wholly satisfied with, um, you know Ramsay Bolton's end. Yeah, and I'm not sure it was exactly a smile on her face. But if it wasn't, it was darn close. Yeah. All right. Now, the, the one thing that I didn't quite understand, and, and maybe this is just because I don't follow the show closely enough, but the tide turns when Littlefinger brings his army. Yes. Well, how did that happen? Well, they, they set that up a while back. Oh, okay. You mean she did without telling John? Exactly. Yes. Because... I, I guess she assumed that John would never agree to help from Littlefinger. So she had met with him uh, in private earlier, and she was very uh, cross with him as he gave her up to Ramsay Bolton. And then later, when she realized that things were not going her way, she sends um, she sent uh, Baelish a, a raven. And then a couple episodes, he was basically like, okay, you know, he, he got the message and he, you know, he's basically like said to the other 
uh, people of the of the Erie that uh, you know we're going to war, you know. And so we okay. we knew at that point. Like I don't think they said per se, but we knew he was going. You know, he was getting the uh, the army of the Vale was going to help out uh, Sansa and Joe John. Okay, so people that really have been play, paying close attention were they watching that that battle scene with you know the thought that where the hell are they yes probably but it happened so many episodes ago like i wasn't even like really thinking about it like i was like okay he's gonna get out of this somehow and i imagine someone's gonna show up and at first when they did i thought maybe the uh, forces from river run that you know that uh jamie had let them go as he had told brienne he would uh, and then I saw like I guess it was like an eagle on the uh, on the standard, and then like oh it's the it's the from the veil, so it was cool. It was it was uh, definitely you know a deus ex machina, yes, but uh, you know an, an awesome one. And, you know like it's one of those episodes of Game of Thrones where you're just your heart's racing like the whole time, and you you, you know you're worried about John again. You know I was pretty sure they weren't going to kill him though this time. Like there, although he once. he did have it covered, told the uh, red woman, "Don't bring me back again." Yeah, and I love her answer. It's like, hey, it's not up to me. Yeah, if yeah, if the Lord of Light says do it, I'll do it. Yep. So yeah. Oh, right, and, well, well, and that you know, also the Hound, uh, Sandor Clegane, uh, potentially joining the the brothers and uh, Beric Dondarrion, the little the kind of little semi terrorist organization. Yeah, so we'll... Wasn't that, wasn't that this episode? I don't think that, that was this episode, ago? no. Oh, maybe it was two episodes ago. All right. I think... Maybe, uh, I don't know. All right. Well, we got one more to go, correct? Yes. And then we'll have to wait another year or whatever. I know, man. Ugh. Whatever it is, so... All right. Well, why don't we jump ahead to talking about Alias? And this is the pilot entitled Truth Be Told, written and directed by J.J. Abrams and... If I have I've to tell you that name before. Yeah, if I have to tell you who JJ Abrams is, you need to get out more because obviously he got to start with Felicity, but then he moved on to Lost, Marvel's Agents of Shield, the Avengers movies, he's done Star Wars and Star Trek. I know. Person of interest, that. fringe, I, I, you know, the guy is is just a genius and he's money in the bank. Money in the bank. Now, this one aired September 30th, 2001. Alias ran for five seasons, and the interesting thing about season five is that Jennifer Garner, who plays the main character in the show, was pregnant in real life. Is that who that was? Yeah. Uh, They wrote it into (laughs) the show, but she was planning to leave, so they wanted to keep the show going because the ratings were good, and and I guess like a lot of shows, they have more faith than it's probably warranted in the show itself as opposed to the actors and and obviously a show like castle i guess decided you know nathan fillion's one thing but without the two of them but they introduced rachel nichols into the show in season five and the idea was that she was going to replace jennifer garner as the main character and she played this computer nerd that was pressed into field work and the next thing you know she was out doing the the jobs that the character of Sydney Bristow would have done before she got pregnant. So pretty cool seeing Rachel Nichols. Uh, so just like season five, she was just all like her feet kicked up and sitting on the couch while Rachel Nichols did all the running around. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. She was back at the uh, op center with the, you know, the little headphone set with the mic and, you know, and uh, yeah. Guess it, that didn't go over well with the audience. So I guess, um, you know, it wasn't too bad. But I think the writing well, on the wall. Get season six. Though, well, right? they so. didn't get season six. I think they finally decided that it just wouldn't wouldn't go without Jennifer Garner, and and of course it didn't. So now you know in the pilot, and, and I've said before, and you know whether you agree with me or not, I still think that this may be the finest pilot of any TV show ever made. And I mean, the direction is pure J.J. Abrams. Great music, quick cuts, flashbacks, witty dialogue. I mean, to me, it has everything. It was very good. No question about it. The best one ever. Yeah, I don't know. That's a pretty That's a pretty big uh, honor. Um, okay, well, you can think about that. You got nine, eight and a half weeks now to think about it. <laughs> uh, what also starts, we've mentioned, obviously, Jennifer Garner, Victor Garber, 
who listeners I'm sure know as Professor Stein in Legends of Tomorrow. He plays Sydney's father, Jack Bristow. You mentioned before we went on the air, hey, Bradley Cooper was in it. Bradley effing Cooper. I'm like watching Alias and boom, Bradley Cooper's there. I'm like, what the hell? Yep. So he plays so. Sydney's best friend, Will Tippin. And, you know, we get the one scene where we see Bradley without a shirt as he gets yeah. ready to take another That's lap. gratuitous. Yeah. And then uh, another one that I think a lot of people might know is Ron Rifkin, who plays Father Creel on Gotham. Yes. And he also plays Dennis Finch on Limitless, and he appears as Arvin Sloan, who is the head of the agency that Sydney works for. So, uh, yeah, I was like looking because I mean, like, he's a guy, and you're like, man, I totally know that guy. I've definitely seen him in things before. And I saw Gotham. That, yeah, I remember this character in Gotham. But then, like, I've seen him in other things. I was just, like, going through the list. I, like, really couldn't pick anything out. Well, you know, one of the problems is he looks like Joel Gray, if you know who Joel Gray is. Yeah, I know who Joel Gray is, but I wasn't confusing him with Joel Gray. Okay, okay. Now, the other thing is I mentioned this is a spy-fi show, and I think that's certainly a reasonable description, but it's certainly also science fiction. I mean, not a lot of it comes out in the pilot. I mean, certainly some of the tech that that sydney has access to but but oh yeah that guy marshall right right but later uh, you know there's this really overarching storyline about this fictitious renaissance man named brambald who's kind of a cross between da vinci and nostradamus and they're searching for artifacts and they're going to build this device and and uh you know it, it really is kind of science fiction is in that respect as well and that that was a pretty good story arc that that went across all five seasons so so was that thing was that she stole was that like yes part of yes oh, okay. that, that was part because of apparently all i really saw that the was the purpose of that machine was to hold up water balloons it seemed like right well at the end it's like even like in fringe you've got to build the device and and that was just right. kind of the the beginning so All right, well, why don't we get into the episode? And I love cold opens. And again, you know, this one, we we see the redheaded Jennifer Garner, and she's being tortured by, I guess at this point, we think they're Chinese or North Korean soldiers. And the camera, it kind of like looks on menacingly at that closed door. It obviously wants us to look at it and notice waiting for somebody to come through. And then boom, it cuts to Sydney in a college classroom finishing an exam, which obviously we can relate to. No, you can't stay any longer. The bell rang, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The, the, the narrative of this episode was awesome because they start you off again, the cold opening, and then they very gradually, a piece of the time, you know, and they keep coming back to it and then they're going back to her past. We get the flashbacks and back to present day. And it's eventually building up to where, at the funeral, we see, which is, I guess, Will's sister with the, the dyed red hair, and say, okay, we're getting close. Because all we have really is that in, in that cold opening, she has her hair with the, you know, the, really the savagely dyed red hair. And then when she says to Will, can I have your sister's passport and everything, they were like, oh, okay. So we, now we're, we're pretty close to present. And, you know, so it just does the flashbacks bring you right up to the present moment. And then the story continues from there. Right. And that's the uh, kind of the beauty. It, it, it sets us somewhat askew as we try to figure out what's the present and what's the past. And then, like you said, we, we get little snippets of the past and, and yeah, a- a- absolutely. I, I thought it was brilliant the way they did it. And then it, it cuts to Sydney's doctor boyfriend meeting her on campus after her exam and embarrassingly proposing to her, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. For a doctor, he's not too smart. Yeah, but Buttercup, that's a, that's a nice song to, you know. It was. You didn't have to say it so loudly, but it's a good song. For, I mean, obviously, we see from the very first shot that she is not a college student, right? That she is involved in something major, and so when we see the the buildup of how she, you know, obviously the question is, well, how did this kind of geeky college student get to the point where she has dyed red hair and is being tortured by, I think they were Chinese. I don't know. Okay. But, uh, you know, being tortured. 
And so in between, she has this really nice guy who proposes to her, and which means he's dead. <laughs> right? right. Like he's dead because he's, he's, he's probably not part of her life in that scene where we see her being tortured. Like I imagine that seems to me to be a single woman. Well, I mean, the yeah. thing is, though, she is a college student. And, and in fact, there's that later scene when she's on the plane with her partner. And, you know, he mentions that Sloan doesn't really care much for her being in school. And she says, well, I don't care. So, I, I mean, to me, that that's part of the beauty of, of what it is she does, because, you know, she's got these two separate lives. And that's kind of the way this episode is put together. Sure. Her life outside of SD6 and then, of course, the mission to Taiwan to recover the Mueller device. Right. But you just know he's doomed, though. Like, well. Almost from the first second you meet him. Well, yeah, but but on the other hand, it's it, when I said before he's not as smart as he should be, given, given that he's a doctor. I mean, what gets him killed is his big mouth. Yeah. Well, you know, I just want to say, I mean, here's my prescience. It's probably about uh, two-thirds of the way down my first page of notes. Danny seems like a nice guy, but he's clearly doomed. Right. So, right. yes. All right. But yeah, but yeah, it's his own. Yeah, stupid. Well, her. What? I mean, what was she thinking? Right. Like there was you really. You're going to go and tell him like like that you're a spy. Like, are you kidding me? Like, what's wrong with you? Well, right. And and you know the way we find out that she's a spy. We we again we go from the college proposal to seeing her in that dark suit on her way to work at Credit Dauphine, which is obviously a cover. And we sense something's different. Wait, that wasn't a real bank. I do that. Well, all the time it probably is a real bank. bank. You know, I always, I always go through security like that when I go to the bank. Well, I think the first ten floors probably are the real bank. It's, it's, right. it's levels. Uh, you know, sub basement one through sixty or whatever it is. But when she enters that infrared scanning booth, we, we kind of know something's up. Sure. And she goes immediately into a meeting with her partner, Marcus and Arvin Sloan. And, you know, at this point, we're not sure, okay, is this NSA, CIA? They're flying to Taiwan and, and they want to recover Mueller's notebooks that have gone missing, apparently in a lab, drawings, and, and it's supposed to be recon only. And, and again, at this point, you're thinking like, okay, if he's making the point that it's recon only, is she going to go off book and grab it anyway? Uh, of course she doesn't, but Right. Well, she barely has enough time just to take the Exactly. Picture. But we are introduced to what's really become... And there's honestly no place in that dress she could hide that. Well, thing. good point. So. Good point. But, you know, we're introduced to what's really become an annoying trope for me, which is the weird tech guy or girl. And, and Marshall gets weirder as the show goes on. Yeah. Does he? Yes, does he, he does. And, and I love the character, but come on. I mean, really, it's like every show, the tech guy is like that. But So the the guy who, who plays Marshall, um, I recognize from Clerks too, which I, I'm not even going to ask no. whether you've seen it or not. But, um, <laughs> but you know, he plays this guy who like loves the uh, Lord of the Rings movies and he comes into this place where – Again, there's no point in me saying the characters' names, but where where Randall and Dante work, and the guy Randall starts talking about the homoerotic overtones in the one scene in Return of the King, where all the hobbits are like jumping up and down the one bed, and the guy Marshall throws up all over the place. Nice, it's a really funny scene. So anyway, so I just knew him, and I was I was like, I wonder what that character is called uh, in, in Clerks too, and his character was called Hobbit Lover. Nice, so. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you mentioned the going back and forth and we cut back to the opening torture scene, which now features the torturer on site. He injects her with something, knocks her out. And then Cat Stevens trouble is perfect at this point. Yeah, that's nice. He also has the like the huge hypodermic. He squirts half of it out. Like, what what is that? Like, what's that? Like, usually stuff like this, I imagine is pretty expensive pharmacological mixture here that uh he's just squirting out like that to you know make a point like really well, well you know if you have that in your notes why didn't you just email one of your sisters yeah well i just had the one sister who's a doctor but oh okay i don't, I don't know if she knows much about uh huge hypodermic needles and why you would squirt <laughs> out half of it injecting people you you're about to torture chris you're about to torture right 
Uh, and I am going to the dentist Thursday, so maybe I'll ask him. It's probably not a good show to watch right before going to the dentist, actually. Uh, yeah, good point. But the next next thing that happens, I know you probably have it in your notes. We see, a, or actually we hear a voiceover of Sydney explaining how she got recruited by the CIA, that she fit a profile. And, and you know, now- I, I, I give this a tentatively, I, I give it a pass on this one. A, because it's J.J. Abrams. And two- because she's like explaining, like it's not just straight up voiceover. She is actually explaining this to Danny, right? Yeah. So it's it's not it's it's a voiceover, but it's not quite. I'll let it slide. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, as you said, we can certainly blame him for not keeping his mouth shut. But on the other hand, what the heck is she thinking? And it's like, well, you can't tell anyone about yeah. this. Well, that's like the kiss of death for any yeah. of us. Well, but I can tell my wife, right? No, you can't tell. Well, you know, if you tell me something, you know I'm telling right, my wife. Right. Well, most things yeah. anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then she tells him she's going on a trip. We come back to Cat Stevens in trouble. And, and you know, I'm thinking like, ah, oh, foreshadowing. And, well, duh. <laughs> All right. Of course, on the flight, she and her partner are talking. And, you know, she's like, well, don't you ever feel bad about lying to your wife and he's any if there's one rule you don't break that's the rule you don't break and she's already broken it you know yeah exactly and uh you know again if we didn't already know something bad was looming on the horizon that pretty much seals the deal for it but yeah they're at this formal function they begin their op you know and we see the torturer and that's what i love about seeing this thing all out of sequence sure so that this is the first time she meets the guy that's going to yank out one of her teeth, or at least one of or, her uh, Yeah, maybe multiple, yeah, right. But it's probably, when you think about it, like, it's probably like wisdom teeth anyway, so, you know. Right. Now, no biggie. Right, so we're back in Taiwan. She's now conscious. He just wants to know who she's working for, preparing to torture, and then we cut to that scene at Danny's funeral. Because like what we've been alluding to is we see that scene when she comes back from the op and she sees her apartment's been tossed. She goes in the bathroom and she just starts screaming because we see his his bloody dead body in her bathtub. Though I said he was doomed, like that was still shocking, you know, like well, not surprising, but shocking. Well, is it more shocking to know who killed him? Look, that Jack did it? No, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Not really. Okay. He seems like kind of a jerk. So okay, and and, and certainly you know, that's what he says. Of, I, I'll, you know, I know it needs to be done. <laughs> well, well, right, and, and certainly, you know, that that finding out that he's involved in espionage as well. But but certainly, it brings up the question, and we don't get an answer for quite a while in the series. What has caused their estrangement? Right. Well, I mean, you know, with the mother gone. And he says later something like, you know, you're not the only one who's lost people, you know. So that would be my theory. It has something to do with the mother's death. Yeah, and it does, but it's one of those things that is she right to blame him for what it is she's blaming him and, and vice versa. But you, well, you based find on this episode, I'd say probably. I mean, he's a, you know, he's, he's an a-hole kind of. Yeah, well, now one of the, you know, funny, really funny scenes, we, we already mentioned J.J. Abrams is responsible for Lost. And in season four of Alias, it's the first season of Lost. And there's a scene where Sydney's having a birthday party and her father, who didn't receive his Evite, shows up at her house, knocks on the door. And, and of course, she won't let him in. But you can hear the music inside in her party. And it's, you all, everybody. Remember Charlie from Lost? Yeah. His oh, band? yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Which, no uh, way. Oh, yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Did I just sing on our You did. First you time? You did. Wow. That's the first time. Go on, Dave. Nice work. All right. Uh, <laughs> All right. So I, I just, before we move on, because I, I kind of like slipped by, you know, the whole scene where she reveals that she's a spy and, um, you know, she's like, Goes up, she just kind of like takes them and they go upstairs. She starts taking their clothes off. He's like, Whoa, nice. You know, like, let's get in the shower. He's like, Woohoo. You know, and then she's like, I'm a spy. It's like, Whoa. <laughs> you know, nothing ruins a moment 
like your girlfriend telling you she works for the CIA, right? It's right. Well, the first time she goes by and she turns the volume on the stereo up right. on the way to the shower. Oh, Danny's the only one who knows he's who thinks he's getting laid here. Exactly. Like we know, she knows, everybody knows that this is not about sex, but he doesn't know it until he knows it. Right. right. Now, you know, his funeral, I mean, it's pretty poignant. The, uh, oh, yeah. the, again, Peter Gabriel's Here Comes the Flood uh, over top of, of this scene. And then just heartbreaking when she re-records her phone message. Yeah. And the, I mean, you just, those are like things like you don't really think about. Like when someone loses someone, all the little things that, you know, obviously there's big changes in your life, but there's yeah. also like little things that you have to f- deal with and and that's a little thing but that is still just as difficult and heartbreaking as as any of the big things you know so just as something as simple as changing your phone message it it there's it means so much more than that you know? yeah yeah and then a little later when we find out that she's been away from work for three months and that they want her back and 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 she refuses to answer sloan's 911 page and they're still using pagers in 2001 just like yeah. they were in dark angel how about that yeah i know right and that's like 2020 right uh-huh uh, well she is in her literature class and she you know like i wouldn't leave my literature class either even for a 911 call yeah good point she still won't return and then we see her getting into her truck in this parking garage when all of a sudden two cia hitmen well, start trying to hitmen, kill her right and we realize they're like really, really bad. Well, right, and and we realize Marcus, her partner, kind of. I mean, he didn't come right out and say it, but he kind of alluded to the fact that if she doesn't come back, there are going to be consequences. Now, we didn't think these would be the consequences, but obviously, they're trying to kill her. We got the what you didn't fight. think they were going to try and kill her. Well, I didn't think they were going to try to kill her. I of thought maybe they were going to try and kill her. That's basically Marcus, like you say, he alluded to it, but strongly allude that you know she didn't come back to work she's going to get killed yeah well i'm not a big fan of fight scenes this one wasn't the greatest fight scene you know she takes out the one guy with the old cell phone trick and and again some funny scenes were with her friend francie oh you wouldn't believe the day i'm having right (laughs) Uh, she's cooking something or whatever but you know she's about real i mean she's taking out the one guy but there's still the other guy and all of a sudden her dad drives up it becomes immediately clear that he's not who she thought he was. I thought you sell airplane parts. I don't sell airplane parts. <laughs> yeah, I've never sold airplane parts. Right. Boom, like, cut- don't be so upset about that, though. I mean, that's what you told her her whole life. So right. Yeah. So, you know, we're back to the Taiwan torturer is yanking out her teeth and just like, can you start with the ones in the back if you don't mind? Just some great lines. I mean, yeah. obviously, it's not funny. Well, and he did. That was, and he, that and was he did, nice right. Thing, right. You know, like if I were really pissed off at someone, I'd be like, no, I want to pull out your front teeth. You know, tell me what I want to know. Right. Now, you mentioned Bradley Cooper, and you mentioned, you know, piecing things together when we see his sister at the funeral and then and back at the house afterwards. So she meets him on the roof of his building. He's a reporter, wants his sister's passport, credit card, and the red hair starts making sense. Which, if, if someone called me and said, could you get me your sister's passport and credit card, I don't even know where I would start with that. Oh, yeah. No, I don't know where my sister keeps her passport. That's a pretty private thing. Right. But the reality, though, is what I'm sure you already get the sense he's in love with her. Oh, oh yeah. Well, when she said that she's going to marry Danny, he was just like his whole face dropped. It's like right, right. So y- you get the sense that she knows he'll do anything for her. Still, sure. I'm with you. I would have no idea where to even start. Yeah, like I gave. It'd be hard enough to get a credit card. Like, no, I don't have access to my sister's credit card. Were you kidding me? Right. And then her passport. No, Can I, I have your where passport? passport is. Well, can I have your passport and credit card? Why? Well, Sydney needs it. For what? Well, I don't know. Well, can you find out? No. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah, well, Sydney needs to borrow your credit card or your, your passport. Is that okay? Just for a little bit. All right. Well, regardless, she gets on the plane, goes to Taipei, 
steals a car, breaks into the facility to steal the Mueller device. And, you know, we got plenty of Mission Impossible music, camera shots, stunts. And, and it was pretty cool. She yeah, it was really obviously cool. paid attention in science class because she kicked on the gas and then, you know, knew, you know, knew a bullet would ignite it, which it, right. of course, did. But she gets caught because she can't pick the damn lock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and because now, that's what she did before. I guess they went and changed the locks, right, or something. Right. Because so she got now, it really easy before. Yeah. So now we know how she came to be in the company of the torturer. And I don't know. For my money, the scene where she gets out of the restraint yeah. is classic. Oh, that was awesome. That flip she did. Like she yep. flipped the chair over and landed on top of the guy. Like, yep. dang. See, now, I knew that's going to happen. That Whenever like a spy gets chained into a chair or you know you know somehow they're going to like end up like breaking the chair or flipping it or doing something crazy like that you know like if i were like an evil genius i would never ever tie a spy up into a chair i would like tie him to like a like a freaking like i don't know like a basement pole or something like that or or like a a, a round very heavy gauge steel peg in the floor <laughs> like yeah ne- never put them in a chair they're gonna break out of that they always break out of it come on uh, of course but then if that wasn't great enough then she just walks into the cia you know she's bloody you could see her mouth swollen from where she had her teeth yanked out yeah, she's just walking down the street like that right like, yeah i got blood coming the- out of my mouth what up exact puts the device on sloan's desk i'm back I'm taking a week off. I have midterms. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, got to love it. Yeah. But then she goes to Langley, right? The whole idea that, you know, when her father tells her, which obviously is a pretty big reveal in, in the story, that you really don't work for the CIA. You work for this black ops division called SD6, who's really the enemy of the CIA. Right. Well, the Alliance of 12, right? It's- right. So she goes well, he's to Langley. One of the Alliance of Twelve. Exactly. Well, she goes to Langley, the real CIA, as a walk-in, writes out a statement, and and Michael Vartan, who's going to become her handler, and then of course you you recognize Greg Grunberg from Heroes, right? No, I never watch Heroes. Uh, well, you didn't. I mean, you'd have made it a season and a half like I did. Yeah. Then it's like really, but uh, Greg Grunberg was the other guy. He was also the pilot in Lost. So you don't really see him much, but anything J.J. Abrams makes, he's at least in a bit part. They've been friends since childhood, and I mean he's he's a working actor. He certainly doesn't oh, yeah. need J.J. Abrams. He works in J.J. Abrams films. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we learn that she's going to become a double agent. But then Michael Vartan's character lets slip that they could use another double agent inside SD Six, and then she's like. Well, I don't believe there really is one because if there was one, you wouldn't have said that. It's like, okay, stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, where is it then? Right. <laughs> right. But of course, we do find out there is one. It's sure. her father. It's her dad, of course. All right. Well, she's got a life outside of SD6. And, and, and obviously, there's a lot of overlap. You know, we meet her best friend, Francine, who who is a big part of the series, questions whether she's going to tell Will and her dad, both of which seem problematic. Uh, the editing technique, you know, kind of weaving in flashbacks of scenes that the characters are discussing, you know, like when Sydney calls, like when Danny calls Sydney's father for permission, a great line. I love it. Uh, Which, I mean, begins as an innocuous customary occurrence, turns into her dad telling him, I will not be used as part of a charming little anecdote. You tell your friends at cocktail parties so they can see what a quaint old fashioned guy Danny really is. Are we clear? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Good. Then welcome to the family. <laughs> it's like, dude, relax. You know? yeah. Like, come on, man. Like, I'm just, even he's like, I'm just, just kind of like a courtesy here, you know, like, but, you know, like you see that Jack, obviously it's a big uh, kind of reveal of his character is that he is, you know, this kind of like pragmatist, realistic, super realistic guy, you know, like, you know, you're not, you're, you're, you already, you're going to ask, no matter if I say no, you're still going to ask her to marry you. So it's like, it is just like you're telling your neighbors you're going to have a big loud party. You're, you're not asking them. You're just telling them you're going to have a loud party. Well, right. But even when he says, how well do you really know my daughter? And obviously he doesn't know his daughter at all. Yeah. 
Exactly. Well, he so, knows her a bit, but he doesn't know. Well, her he does now, very but well. he didn't when he asked her to marry her. Right. Marry him. But you know, it's it's uh, you know, on the one hand, he's kind of got to be the way he is to a certain extent, given the job that he does. Yeah. I mean, you go back to again. It's not exactly the same, but you think about Castle and his father, who turns out to be a spy. The father he never knew, right? Until he comes to save him, and I don't even remember where they were out in the woods that time. But doing that kind of job, there are certain sacrifices that you have to make. And okay, I guess you could argue he could be a little nicer <laughs> doing it, and you'd probably be correct. But you know, we we see some scenes of normalcy. For Sydney, she meets Will at the track, and of course, telling him that she's getting married. It's clear he likes her, as we said. She's at home with Danny, talking about having children, and then well, of course, she's that, not talking about he. Well, is. he he's talking right, and that right, kind right. of what precipitates the whole, you know, going upstairs, taking off clothes, and telling you I'm a spy. Well, exactly. Why'd she have and to take her clothes off to do that? To go in the shower. Oh yeah, her clothes would get wet. Right. True. But she so really did give poor Day the wrong impression there, you know. Well, yeah, but but certainly she knows her apartment well, and she must be aware of where the surveillance equipment actually is. Sure. Or maybe she just assumes and assumes it's not going to pick up in the shower. But but regardless, you know, that, that message, and as soon as he starts talking, and I think he does use the word spy finally, because up to a certain point it was kind of vague what he was saying – and then we cut to that scene of the array of these huge satellite dishes and then the guy wearing the headphones that, that's listening in. Yeah. She's going to have to try to talk her way out of that, and that's not going to happen. Sloan tells Jack there's been a breach. Danny knows what Sydney does, and, and uh, you know, I'm sorry, Jack, and, and we know certainly that this is not good. And I, on the one hand, was surprised that that – dad is the one that killed his future fa- future son-in-law so so obviously you know down the road if and when sydney finds out who killed danny it could be problematic yeah could be yeah very problematic i would say but sherry kind of hates him so i guess you yeah. know no big change there right but but when she goes in and confronts uh sloan what did you do you killed the man i love no, Agent Bristow, you did. You did, yeah. And she, and he's right. He's he's right, yeah. Yeah. Tells her she's a risk now. And at this point, we learn she's been in the agency for seven years. Uh, you know, we mentioned the Alliance of 12, and, and, you know, we learn a little bit about the fact that SD6 is not a branch of the CIA. Her father tells her you work for the very enemy you thought you were fighting. And basically, he's trying to avoid her getting killed, but... She certainly lives to work another day, for sure. Yes. Though they shot up her F-150, which sucked. Yes. Yes. All right. So the the episode ends. She's working as a double agent for the real CIA. Her father approaches her at Danny's grave and reveals that he's CIA working as a double agent as well. How do I know what you're telling me is the truth, she asks him. I guess we'll just have to learn to trust each other, which then harkens back to the title of the episode, which which is just perfect, I think. Well, he clearly um, is at least you know in with the CIA because he knows details like about her report that she didn't mention him in it. Obviously, he does work for the CIA, but whether he, where his true loyalties lie is um, you know obviously very unclear. Exactly. So, you know, at this point, what do we know about SD6? That they're focused on recovering this Mueller device, which we don't really know what it is. We don't really know what it does. I mean, is it something as powerful as a nuclear warhead that they're planning to wreak havoc on the United States? Well, we don't have any evidence of that. So, the only thing does it holds up a water balloon. You turn off, the water balloon falls. Big deal. (laughs) Well, Either way, we know that the Chinese have it, which is problematic as well. But, uh, you know, it, it's 
I think a great start that we've we've got plenty of questions uh, left open. Obviously, anytime you're a double agent, you've got to uh, obviously divorce yourself from one side or the other. So now she needs to stay in SD6 and then report surreptitiously back to her handler played by Michael Vartan. So, yes, we will see. And he hasn't done a lot since then. He was in a movie called monster in law <laughs> with Hanoi Jane. And, uh, that's about the only thing that I really can remember seeing him in. And, and I think he's a pretty good actor. I liked him. Actually, I even liked him in that movie. So you saw monster in law. Well, come on, Jennifer Lopez. How could I not? Yeah, you still haven't seen uh, Deadpool, though. Good point. Marina Baccarin. Like, and, come on, and, man. Well, and I got another gift card for the movies. Did you? So now I'm up to like $60 in movie gift cards. I think <laughs> I'm going to have to go to the movie at some point. Yeah. Is Deadpool still even playing? No, no, okay. no. It, has, it was out in like like February. Okay, but you, you can, so it'll it'll be coming to DV, uh, to HBO soon. Oh yeah, because they do get the Marvel movies, don't they? Yeah, but well, one you of can yeah you, know, you can rent it. You know, you can you yeah. can do that. It's really good. Like I could. You, you'll like it. I guarantee you'll like it. It's awesome. Okay. All right. Well, anything else you want to bring up about Alias? Um, no, it, other than how much you liked yeah, it. it was it was really good. I mean, you know, like I don't need me to tell. It was really good. It was clearly really good. You know, it was it was, it was an, a really well made episode. Uh, it does you know what a pilot like again like when we go back to our criticism of the forty four hundred. You know, here's where a you know a, a really well made pilot does. You know, it really brings you in, draws you in. And you know, like the, the other way I think of those really an excellent pilot was for Agents of Shield, right? Yeah, Which I remember sure. the first episode being incredible, but then the kind of the rest of the series being a letdown from that first episode. You know, like you, and who wrote well, that it's one? Josh Whedon, um, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think J.J. Abrams might have been the producer on it as yes, well. Yes, that's but right. Jo- Josh that's wrote right. it. He did have a coal in that fire as well. And probably directed it. Um, he did, I believe. So, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it was it was outstanding, you know? And, like, if it were only, like, maybe two or three seasons, I probably would continue watching it. But it's not. It's five. And they're all long seasons. They're right. all, like, 22 yeah, episode exactly. seasons. So. Yeah, the fifth one might not be, but but the rest are all twenty two. I'm pretty sure. So maybe maybe someday in the future, it was it was compelling. You know, like I, I put it put it in the uh, maybe in the to do list. Well, you know, for me, it's it's one of those shows that I could see, and 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 I can see right now that Charlie Jade's kind of becoming this show for me. That every couple weeks, when I don't have anything to watch i'm like oh let me watch watch the next episode of charlie jade now of course it'll take you like 10 years to get through all five seasons doing it that way but yeah you know still yeah yeah true it could be well, this is, i don't know we'll see it's compelling it's worth it you know it's good i liked it i you know uh i guess the only criticism i could say well actually no i don't really have a criticism but just something i noticed and i'm not saying that they copied off of dark angel because obviously the two were almost running at this i mean i think dark angel maybe started a year before but you know like there's no way that like you know jj abrams was watching episodes of dark angel and incorporating that into well i mean he might have been but still the thing is there was a lot of stuff in there especially with the break-in that reminded me of of dark angel okay but i I don't think like you know that dark angel per se gave birth to alias because like i said they're they're right on the heels of one another i don't think well i would think that hack james cameron probably uh <laughs> had no more ideas so i would think he was the one that yeah stole you think it, so but, yeah well but but you know people will say well what does the director really do and say and when you see a pilot like alias or as you mentioned agents of shield the director is huge right and 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 it just shows that when, when you get you know these these really good directors, and and that's the other cool thing that that you get these people like J.J. Abrams and Joss Whedon, that are, that just keep going back and forth between film and television, and obviously as the consumer, it's like 
I just sit there with, you know, my arms, my eyes, my ears open, and it's just like, feed me. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice picture there. Yeah, I, I got gotcha. yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, J.J. Uh, Abrams and Josh Whedon, obviously, Josh Whedon, I said Josh, I think, have, you know. Big, that's his brother. <laughs> right. Uh, they have, you know, big screen, you know, kind of significance and power right like these guys sure. are who have had blockbuster movies um and you know when they write for the small screen um it brings a little bit more of that kind of cinematic eye i guess you know no i absolutely i agree with you 100 percent. so yeah, yeah it's yeah. really good all right well i guess that'll do it for uh this one uh, uh sorry to see alias go but Got too many other shows I got to watch. Yeah. So well, you've seen that. All right, we want to. I know. All right, thank you for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you with follow-ups about Dark Angel. Still, Charlie Jade, Hemlock Grove, The Forty Four Hundred, Life on Mars, Alias. Anything else you think we should be watching? I'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group, and if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via SpeakPipe, which you can access through the website. We'll be back next week to discuss First Lady of Sci-Fi and Stargate SG-1. But until then... Dave, I've got some bad news for you, man. I'm your worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs>